Wendy Conquest and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction and Relationships. I'm here with my friends and colleagues, Jeannie Batoni and Dan Drake. Uh, Tim Stein is not with us uh, for this particular episode, but you will see him on others. Today, we wanna talk about abstinence in relationship to sex addiction and betrayal trauma. And um, first of all, we wanna define what abstinence is. So, um, so Jeannie, Dan, how, how do you define abstinence for clients and sort of the population that's listening? Do you want to go, Jeannie? I was going to say Rochambeau. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, that seems like an easy, it seems like an easy answer. And yet it, like, for example, it depends on what, if a client's in 12 step programs, their abstinence generally depends on what program they're in and how their how their program defines it. So it's this complex. Like for example, mm. what's Sexaholics Anonymous defines sobriety and what's the difference between sobriety and abstinence, but sobriety or abstinence as uh, no sex with self or others. So masturbation is just included in the definition of, and then something like Sex Addicts Anonymous has a whole different definition that someone defines for themselves what's healthy, what's not. So I don't know, if you, how do you guys, and well, the, interpret it and, and the deal with abstinence. Right. So when we say of abstaining from something, it means that we're not doing that thing. Abstaining from alcohol, abstaining from drugs, it means we are, you know, a person is not doing that thing. So if, uh, abstinence from sex, um, then potentially that person has to define what sex is. So then we get into the whole piece of if, if someone says they're abstaining, are they also not masturbating? Are they masturbating or are they not masturbating? So that's another piece of, of this conversation is when someone says I'm being abstinent, um, does that mean they're being celibate? And is that, you know, is that the same thing or not? My understanding is celibacy is absolutely no sexual contact of any kind. Is that your guys' definition of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that. But for me, celibacy is also an ongoing state, an ongoing experience. Uh, whereas abstinence in the way that we're talking about it is a period of time. And that period of time is really for the purpose of clinical intervention or biological intervention, especially when we're talking addiction, that neurological piece of changing the, the behavior patterns, changing some of that neurology and withholding, not withholding, but abstaining from the sexual behaviors for a period of time. Because? because that way, well, two things, right? Oh, so many things. Now my head just blew up, Dan, darn it. Okay, because neurology, if we're not traveling down those neurological pathways and using our sex or sexual experiences to cope, we have to create other neural pathways. So that's one reason. Two, I think it also provides opportunity for an addict to understand the sexual energy and to create some mastery over sexual energy of when is it appropriate to have that present and how do I rein it back in when it's not appropriate? Three, partners, betrayed partners might feel safer <clears throat> knowing that the person with the compulsive sexual behavior issue is working on sexual energy and abstaining from sexual behavior, which again is treatment oriented. 
Did I list the one you were thinking of, Dan? Or you think? Yeah, no, and I, that's, I, yeah, I think so. It's interesting. I, I, when I think celibacy, I think of a relational component to it because I could have, you know, and we, we can define abstinence a little bit more, but, you know, I could theoretically have sexual contact with my partner um, and it could be relational, but I could be abstaining from problematic sexual behaviors. So I could be doing both. To me, if I'm celibate, I'm not, I, I would define it. I'm not sexual self or others. And I, I actually see it as a period of time, but I think there's a relational piece and I don't know what you guys do, but I think it gets, let's say I'm working with a person with a, the sexual compulsive sexual behaviors. Um, I'm, I usually will recommend uh, an abstinence period at the beginning, just because we need that reboot time. And I, sometimes I think of like a food fast. We're not saying, cause I think this is where the, we get sometimes uh, seen as like we're anti-sex or something by, by suggesting this, which I don't think is the case. I think it's more giving that there are brains and bodies a chance to cope and find new ways of, of coping with life as opposed to using sex and sexuality. Um, but I think if I'm working with that person and I'm recommending this, how do I translate that to the partner as a partner on board? I mean, there's so many relational pieces to this, uh, especially sometimes betrayed partners early on feel uh, if we're not having sex or not sexual, then they get anxious because like, well, if we're not doing it, then, you know, I'm afraid that, that he's going to go out and, you know, do whatever he was doing before. So I'm just curious what, how you all handle that in terms of, if you do even see celibacy as the same, as having a relational component and how do you manage that in a coupleship? Well, so, so interesting, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of the pieces that, uh, I, I like to talk about early on is early on is well what is sex addiction and why does it occur and so I really love uh, Alex Katahakis's book uh, Sex Addiction as Affect Dysregulation uh, I believe that was her PhD thesis that was uh, then transformed into a, a book I think Alex if I'm wrong I apologize. Um, so, uh, but it's this whole premise of uh, sex addicts, um, and we find this a lot that that sex addicts, when we uh, get the addiction in remission, there's something else underneath. There is uh, a generalized anxiety, or there is generalized depression, or a combination of both. Um, but there is basically that. But there, there's the the this this theory which I adhere to that um, sex addicts use sex uh, or sexual material or um, sexual fantasy as a way to calm themselves down, to be able to uh, uh, somehow work with very um, unregulated, uh, out of control feelings. So as difficult as it may be to ask somebody, hey, we're going to take away your best friend, uh, you know, your best coping mechanism um, and allow all those feelings to come to the surface um, because we that's the, that that's the root. That's what we really want to be working on um, if for a lot of people is a very tall order, but I think it's really necessary. And so I think when I, when I'm able to explain this to the partner of, you know, this is the goal. Um, the goal is not to take away your connection or to take away things that, um, that, that make you feel um, uh, uh, safe. The, it's the opposite. I want to make you more safe 
by getting to the, the main cause of what's causing the addiction. <clears throat> Dan, I wanna come back to you on, on what you said about celibacy. The way that I use the abstinence contract, it is the abstaining from all sexual contact. So that includes partners, <clears throat> as well as any material experience that creates sexual energy because I want the person to have a, a better understanding of their natural body responses and then to create some mastery and skill to manage that. So I would call that abstinence contract. What you just talked about was celibacy where celibacy is the uh, complete removal of all sexual, kind of similar to what I just said for yeah. abstinence. But you talked about abstaining, abstaining from sexual behavior, but being sexual in relationship. And so I'm like, yes, that is in my mind, the definition of abstaining is not engaging in a certain behavior. But when I'm working as a sex, a sex addiction therapist in the abstinence contract, I want them to abstain from all sexuality. Are you saying you do it differently? No, not, no, not necessarily. Okay. But, but. Yes, and no, and <laughs> oh, good, a good clear answer, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. You like that? Uh, yeah, there are situations. What do I do? Let's say I'm working with someone who is an addict, and their partner is not on board with not being sexual. Now what? That's not. So we, can we still can we still move forward? Can can they still learn new coping strategies if if their partner doesn't feel safe or comfortable? That kind of that's where I was, I was bringing that up. I think there are there is a world where if now I can either talk to the partner's therapist or if I can talk to the partner directly and I can explain why I'm doing this for the reasons you you both said. But there are situations where I don't have partners on board. So so now what? I think I could still have. I mean, I'm thinking that I, I can still have abstinence, I think, even if it's not a complete removal of all behaviors, I okay, think. So so you were using the, the the scenario where the betrayed partner is not on board with this intervention. Yeah. We could say, okay. Or, but I think also Sex Addicts Anonymous uses a three circle plan, right? As we know, and someone can have abstinence from problematic behaviors, but that abstinence may not be utter complete abstinence of sexuality. It's they've they're abstaining from problematic behaviors mm -hmm. so i think maybe maybe it's just semantics but mm -hmm. i think the way i would define abstinence could involve uh, abstinence could involve other behaviors i think mm -hmm. i'm abstaining from problematic behaviors i might not be abstaining from all behaviors mm -hmm. that so said that the abstinence period that's mm -hmm. or a contract that we're talking about i do think is more of a discrete time period where usually early on when someone comes in um we're kind of helping them reboot their system so i do think if I'm, if, if I'm an alcoholic and I'm, you know, move from vodka to, to beer and I'm just drinking beer or something like that's, it's not going to, that's not going to help my system out any. So we understand there's a period of removal. Ultimately, hopefully the goal, which is different from chemicals, as we know, and we talked about this in another podcast is, uh, is changing our relationship with sexuality. So make building in healthy sexuality. That's our goal. So I don't know how you kind of like a food fast, how do you have build back, you know, build back your system in healthy ways if you don't kind of start from a cleanse to begin with. So, so you're, I hear you differentiating them between the, the true definition of abstinence to abstain versus also what we're talking about in a clinical intervention of abstinence contract 
yeah. in, with the context of addiction management. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the betrayed partner because some betrayed partners are absolutely thrilled with the idea that there's an abstinence contract. And some feel like, oh, I won't have to worry about that now. It's just off the table and there's some relief. And then there's other folks who are, how come you get to decide what's happening for us sexually? Isn't that a mutual decision and discussion? Yeah. Now I'm curious how you guys handle it. I, I when I'm working in this venue, I bring both people together in the room so we can have education and we can talk about it if there's any concerns. And that way they get all their questions, whichever side gets all their questions answered. And it's a mutual decision because I want to empower the betrayed partner. How do you guys handle it? Well, before that, I'm 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 wondering because um uh there are a lot of people I think who listen to our program who maybe don't have access to CSATs or don't have access to you know experienced sex addiction therapists. So, you know, so um, so I, I want, I, I would wish that part of this is for those people who are listening, how, if you don't have access to a professional, uh, how do you talk about this? How do you decide about this on your own? Um, what kind of conversation can a couple have around what would be, uh, what, what each person is thinking and needing? Um, and I, and, and so I'm thinking about the partners who are scared to let go of sex because uh, I've heard through the years, you know, if, if I don't have sex with him, then he's more uh, apt to act out. He's more apt to watch porn. He's more apt to uh, go to a massage parlor or go to an affair partner. So if I have sex with him, then that's not going to happen. So, you know, what do we say to those folks who are really scared about this dynamic. And I, and I would say um, if, if, if he's gonna act out or if it doesn't have to be he, it could be she, um, if, if the addict is gonna act out, it does not matter how much you have, how much sex you have with them. It does not matter. Um, there have been people who have had sex with their partner and then go out and act out with somebody else. So. It, it uh, And I think this is sort of an un inconceivable idea for a lot of partners. Um, but that's, I mean, that that has been my reality and practice. Am I on the right page here? Yeah, Definitely. I mean, I think that goes right to the part of it being an addiction, mm -hmm. right? It's not something that one can control by modifying behavior. Mm -hmm. So if the partner is trying to be more sexual, whether that's in their comfort zone or not, to deter other acting out behaviors, most of the time that's not going to work because addiction is neurological, biological experience. It's not. It's not solely a relational issue. Yeah, I guess I'm. I'm just. I don't know if this tracks you. Let me know if you, what you think. But if I were, if I had issues around food, having let's say I'm, you know, I love cookies. I love chocolate chip cookies. They're amazing. If, if I eat one cookie, it's not like I'm satiated now. Like I can, I can gorge myself and binge, you know, have a bunch of cookies, right. I could do that. So I think the idea, if I have for a partner, it, it makes sense on one level. Like if I can provide this, then they won't seek another source, but I'm thinking like, 
the problem isn't the problem isn't sex. The problem is the maladaptive coping, the way I'm I'm managing my stress or managing my feelings or trauma or whatever. And that's how it's coming out. So mm-hmm. I think I think providing for the for those partners, helping them understand, like it makes sense. It's pretty normal to to start there as a way of building safety. But then how do we build internal safety that, you know, that's the, you know, the strategies to, to build safety supports for themselves, security. So and that might be helping the the betrayer, the addict help, you know, help understand, help them understand, help the partner understand what the the tools that they're using, what they're not doing, like what they're, like their, their recovery plan, keeping them, you know, what things they're doing to keep safe so they can help keep their partner safe. So I I do all those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a little curveball. Is that okay? Are you you okay with that? That's fine. I, so so we have those clients, but we, you know, there's probably a number of people listening. If you're a betrayed partner, they're like, well, you know, that's well and good, but we haven't had sex in years. And so now I found out, I thought that part of a relationship was done. And, you know, they're finding out that they thought that they just, the sex, sex phase of their relationship passed, right? And we have those clients, especially if you have intimacy, anorexia issues going on. So I'm curious what you two think. So we have those clients on the other side where there's not relief. When you mentioned an abstinence contract, it's like, oh, this is actually more painful because this has been part of the problem in our relationship is that I've, I've been withheld sexually in, in the relationship. So how do you, you all handle in those kind of cases, an abstinence contract or abstinence period early on? And, and let me add on to that before, because I'm going to throw this to Wendy. The experience of, to make sure I'm on track with you, Dan, the betrayed partner sexuality has not been in their relationship because via the acting out compulsive behavior, that individual took the sexuality out of the relationship and, and did it somewhere else, whether that was masturbation or pornography or acting out with others. So therefore the mutual relationship, there is no sexuality. So that betrayed partner feels like, wait a second, I've been looking for sex and we haven't had it. And now you want me to, or you're going to have that, my addict, my, my person do an abstinence contract. Like I want to bring sex back in, not keep it out. Are we on, Mm -hmm. am I on your same page? Okay. So Wendy, (laughs) (laughs) tell us all your goodies of what you do for folks and how could folks uh, take this at home? Well, so one of the first things that I ask couples to look at is, um, okay, you haven't had sex for years when you were having sex. Um, now knowing that he was an addict, can you uh, grade or think about the quality of the sex that you were having? Um, do you think he was present? Um, do Were you present? Um, did it feel connected on a spiritual, emotional, psychological, intellectual level? So was there sensuality? within the sexual experience. So I am asking all these different questions um, to have that, to have both people stop and, and think about it. Because when, what I found is that when addicts do their work and when they take time for an abstinence period and they get a lot of insight and they do start really connecting with their partner, the sex is different. They feel different sexually. And so um, the majority of addicts, I'll say, so is sex different now? And they say, absolutely. Like they're, they're, they don't make any jokes. They're very serious. Yes, it is very different for me. 
So that tells me that 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 this is necessary. That what we're talking about is not a punishment. It's not some the- theoretical thing. That it really um, has some key components to enhance people's lives. So um, and so those those areas. I, so. Um, what I find is that when people come together in a relationship, they're so excited and they're, they're, they, they fall in love. And, you know, there, there are things about the physicality of, of each other that maybe they say, eh, you know, not, but it's okay. You know, uh, it, uh, overall it's, it's good. Um, so over time to go back and say, so I'm just curious, you know, if I have somebody in the office, right. A couple. So I'm curious, you know, let's talk about, you know, open mouth kissing, you know, like, how do you feel about that? And to get, get that person's perspective and you ask another person. So how do you feel about that? And sometimes I'll have couples where they thought the other person really liked something and they really didn't. Mm -hmm. And so it's this sort of what, how, wait, how did this happen? Where for years we've been engaging um, on a physical level and thinking that we're pleasing the other person and we're really not. Wow. That's, that's big. Are you saying that you would have some of that exploratory conversation during the abstinence contract, or that would be a topic to include at any point in couples work? I think it would be important for the partner to be thinking about these things. My thought is, I'm curious what the two of you think. My thought is for the addict, they have sort of enough going on with understand the addiction, getting support, trying out new behaviors, staying sober. I don't know if that is the particular right time for them to start saying, well, what did I like or not like about the sexuality because um sexuality is so distorted on a general level anyway mm-hmm. 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 what okay. do you guys think yeah i think so and i think it depends on especially the readiness of the partner i mean i might bring some of this up and if it's like i can't even deal with sexuality right now like i'm uh, that's too traumatizing or too overwhelming or too whatever okay i'm not going to be i might you know it's it's worth talking about but if they're saying nope back red light stop then okay then that's that's i would obviously force the issue but i mean certainly if it's time where it feels like it's appropriate to bring up for sure yeah i think it's appropriate to bring up and and this is not limited to couples that are impacted by sex addiction and betrayal trauma right this is right i mean sexuality is an important topic for any coupleship and a lot of couples it's understanding right and it's vulnerable it's difficult to talk about a lot of couples even you know outside of our the betrayal Mm -hmm. trauma sex addiction community don't talk about sex they like you said wendy they don't maybe don't even know they've never actually communicated about Mm -hmm. desire or wants or Mm -hmm. what's working what's not they don't know how to say it or they just don't feel comfortable saying it or you know they they're too ashamed of it or whatever there's so many hang-ups we can have around sex Yeah. And I just, in early sobriety, I wouldn't trust what an addict says that they like or don't like. I just, they're still learning so much. You know, I was thinking of abstinence contract and, you know, what's one of the first questions we get when this gets introduced? 
how long is that going to be for? Yeah, right. Okay. That's true. How long? Hang on, guys. Just a sec. Sorry, sorry. I'm going to stop. So that's for our editor. But my light all of a sudden. Now it's me. You know, hang on. I didn't notice anything wrong or different. Yeah, the shadow. Okay, that's better. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. So with, so with time, you know, how long is this going to last? What do you guys say? I, uh, depends on my relationship with the person. I often make, make a joke about the fact that they're thinking about when it's going to end. I'm like, well, probably longer than you, than now it's even longer because you're thinking of the time. So I usually lighten it a bit because they're, they're anxious. And if to me, it's, I, I want them to be thinking about the process, not the, not the end. If like, okay, I can, I can wait, I could wait 30 days or 90 days or whatever. I could, I could, I could wait, I could wait that out. I think that was something I was going to say earlier to me, an abstinence period, the starting point is the stopping of the abstaining from or the ceasing of behaviors. That's just the starting point. The real work is how do I, what do I notice when, when I've stopped these behaviors, what's coming up for me, you know, the emotional stuff or also, okay. And this, in the intimacy anorexic type relationship, how do, how do you start building in non-sexual or any relationship, non-sexual physical touch? Um, emotional intimacy, you know, that kind of connection, you're building all these other areas of, of intimacy mm-hmm. and connection and focusing on that rather than sex. Mm-hmm. So I, that's where my focus, maybe not initially, because mm-hmm. they're going to be panicked and anxious about it. But I mm-hmm. but that's, that's certainly what I want to be focusing on. That's what I'm going to be telling them about. That's the goal of this. It's not mm-hmm. just to stop a behavior for a certain period of time and, mm-hmm. you know, hold your breath underwater and good, I did it. It's, it's, that's not the point. It's to actually grow and learn and build new tools mm-hmm. so the classic model is 90 days right mm-hmm. the classic nine and and when i've asked like why 90 days um the 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 main reason i get is well that's how long it takes to change a behavior is 90 days i'd always heard it 90 days kind of like 90 90 like 90 meetings 90 days oh. i had then heard and, and I don't have the research to back this up, but that it was 90 days to start basically a neurological sloughing process. So starting to change the neural pathways mm-hmm. that you've got a good start on it when you're not doing a behavior for 90 days, mm-hmm. even though that pathway will always be there, but you're letting it sort of degrade and, and get a little bit um, less traveled. Yeah, interesting. So that's got the pro- the helping someone create those new neural pathways mm-hmm. when you're going a different direction using other tools. Mm-hmm. It degrades that old one, the addiction one. So that's yeah. why I've always heard ninety. Me too. But am I wrong? I'm, I'm sorry if I'm going to misquote this, but I, I thought Gary Wilson and your brain on porn was talking more about uh, it's more of a 120 days, not 90 days. The real mm-hmm. brain changes happen later. I so. just heard everyone in the community who's listening going, what? I know now. <laughs> what? Just added a month. And then I also heard all the, a lot of betrayed partners go, all right. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, am I, mis- am I misremembering that? That's what I, I remember. I don't know. But maybe we need to have them on the show and find out. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, as, as we talked about, I call them the desert wanderers the ones who are looking for sexuality in their relationship and they're in, they're in drought conditions and they're looking, looking, looking. But I also have what I call the octopus warrior is the betrayed partner who 
is in the relationship where the sexual energy is just overwhelming lots of the time. And so they're constantly sort of like, no, I don't want to, no, don't touch my body. No, stop coming on to me. No, stop looking there. You know, they're just trying to do this. So those folks have a lot of relief of the, okay, that's not on the table. And therefore that helps them calm down a bit because it's not that they've had to assert and ask. It's that the group, including them, has made a decision to not have sex on the table for a while. And that can I, be you, tremendous. It's huge. I, it just made me think of something that's really, really important in the process. Okay. Just because, so you can stop having sex or sexual activity in the relationship. I have a lot of people, you know, to, I like the, the, the idea of this octopus warrior. I never thought about that that way. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, but I, those kind of men I've worked with, it's per, typically been men. Um, they will throw little jabs out passive. They may not be having sex and they may not be, you know, touching, but they'll, they'll use words. They'll get victimy. Sometimes they'll throw little passive aggressive comments out or, or they'll be, they'll be marking on a calendar, the date and the partner's like, Oh no, that's like this impending doom coming of the state coming. So I feel like it's worth saying stopping behaviors and still throwing those jabs out is still going to be harmful to the relationship, right? I mean, that's, I've a seen no, this, no. a no-no, right? It's a no-no. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're on the same page with that. Yeah, no-no. And I also those say, of you, yeah. For those of you who are listening, um, have just joined the podcast or stopped for a minute, um, you are listening to conversations on sex, addiction, and relationships. And we're talking today about abstinence. I also tell folks, so if you're doing a 90 day, you know, that doesn't mean you're having sex on day 91, <laughs> right? How many times have we had that conversation? Because like you said, impending doom for some partners as they're, I, I've had clients literally X out the days on the calendar, counting it down. And I think it's really important for us to remind all the listeners, day 91 does not mean we have sex. Day 91 means we start talking about what works for each of us. Day 92 yeah. is maybe we continue to talk about what works for each of us. You know, it's not, let's get back into sex yeah. because you've just hopefully learned some things about yourself and your coupleship for both betrayed partner and addict. And so how do we put that together and make it meaningful for growth? Yeah. I, I love that Jeannie. I, when, um, I know that an addict's really done their work when they say, you know, my partner and I, you know, my husband, wife, and I are talking about being sexual again. And I say, so, you know, how are you feeling about that? And they say, I'm terrified. Yeah. That now I know it's like, okay, we're really getting somewhere. And the reason I say that is because when for most people, right, when they have their first sexual experience, it usually is terrifying. There's there there's 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 a lot of vulnerability and a lot of anxiety and a lot of you know if they're not drunk, right, or high, right, if they're sober and in the experience in the moment, um, and they don't know what they're doing, and so there's a lot of uh, awkwardness and and so that. What I want for couples is for that to be part of it, actually. Mm -hmm. For that, for everything to slow way, way, way down. And so for couples, I talk a lot about foreplay 
What is it? How long should it last? What does it look like for each individual? Um, what is the uncomfortable aspects of that for you? Have the two of you ever talked about it before? You know what I'm envisioning? Uh, the, the, the three of us and Tim, four of us, I would love for one of our next, next episodes to be, you know, a topic that's passionate for me is sexual impact of sex addiction. Okay. Partner and the addict, because that's exactly what you're talking about is the feelings that come up for an addict when they're creating new sexuality and same with betrayed partner and what is healthy sexuality versus maybe what we've been doing all these years, or maybe parts of their sexual experiences were healthy. You know, and, and that recreating and that learning, I would love for that to be a new episode. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah. I think, you, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say, I mean, one of the, the saddest things, you know, that I've, I've heard is when um, partners come in or couples come in and the report is, you know, every time we have sex, um, she's crying. Yep. Not tears of joy, <laughs> you know, and that, that, that to me is, it's like, okay, we need to stop. Right. Like no matter what you want this to be or believe this to be, this isn't working. And in extreme cases, I've had partners that have gotten physically ill. Um, and when they started having sex and it's like the body's saying no, mm -hmm. but she's saying, no, I really have to do this. I need to do this. I need to get over it. I need to, you know, whatever. And, and she's really not psychologically ready. And I want to, I want to put out there that Wendy, what you're describing is a male partner's experience too. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's not just a female betrayed partner experience. That's a male partner experience. Also, is this going to go well? Am I going to be good enough in performance? And how am I going to compare? And I should just plow through, even though I'm scared out of my mind and I'm, you know, so it's a, it's really a betrayed partner experience. I completely agree. And it's the same physicality, um, intestinal issues, stomach issues, headaches. Um, yeah, that it's not okay. Yeah. Back to abstinence contracts. Um, do you guys have, so I, I shared a bit about what I have them focus on, you know, where's the sexual energy coming from? Is it appropriate? And I kind of have them create their own, it's not a step four, but you know, a self-inventory. What's going on for me? Is my middle circle activated? Am I sexual because I want a reward? Am I sexual because I'm stressed? And so I have them really dig down into what's going on that's creating this sexual energy. And maybe it's because my husband's really cute, or maybe I think my wife's really hot, but is there anything that's going on addiction related? What are you guys? I'm really curious of when you're recommending abstinence contract as an intervention for the coupleship. Are there anything different that you have them focus on? No, I do those things too. I think that's really crucial to help them understand. And, you know, what am I, what am I using my sexuality to cope with so they can learn that? And, and then we can build new tools based on that. The other things I, I am helping them build intimacy in new ways. Cause if you ask an addict, what is intimacy? What's the highest form of intimacy, sex, 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 sex. So mm -hmm. Okay, sex is a part of intimacy, but sex is not intimacy. It's right. And I think we have to help them. What how do we 
broaden the, the depth of what intimacy can be in the relationship. So that's, those are the things that, you know, in addition to where my triggers, vulnerabilities that I'm noticing coming up now, now also how am I engaging my relationship in a new way mm-hmm. that, if I don't use my sexuality. So I, I, I really want to help them see, and, and hopefully I can bring in the partner for some of those things. What are the things that they want to be seeing more of, you know, emotionally in the relationship or less of, or, you know, what are, what are the things that they, would make them feel safer or cared for in, in new ways? So I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on those things as well. They may not have a clue quite yet, but at least I want to be planting the seeds that intimacy is way more than just about sex. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I don't know about you, Wendy. Yeah, so I um, I really like to go to the family of origin issues and where the sex addiction began. Um, so I think the very first pieces of sex addiction, love addiction, um, are are important to raise awareness as to this is what I was compensating for back then. And so I get curious. So, okay, that worked back then. Is there any relationship to then your current life and how, you know, you're still coping in that, in that manner? So it was that the question. I think that was that the question. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, So those pieces, but also so uh, in Sex Addicts Anonymous, they have three circles and the outer circle is what really resources you. And so I find that for a lot of sex addicts, they are giving a lot to, um, and I know that I could hear betrayed partners saying, what? No, there's no way. But what I experience is that they believe or they feel that they're giving a lot to others. So they're giving a lot to family. They're giving a lot to kids. Sometimes they feel they're giving a lot to their spouse. They're giving a lot to work, but they're giving a lot out and they're not able to say, Hey, I'm overwhelmed. Um, There's, there's just too much. This is just too much. I can't say no. So the sex addiction is my little piece of my own world where I get to just have something for myself. So I want more awareness as to any, um, uh, depletion that they're, they're having, um, Mm -hmm. and any, and so that goes along with different triggers. I think that the trigger is like, oh, there's something up that I want them to go deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. You know, Dan, when you're talking about different kinds of intimacy, I was thinking also, um, and gosh, I wish I knew the creator, but it's building blocks of intimacy is what we, we talk about in different, different kinds. So spiritual intimacy, uh, physical intimacy, which is not sexuality, like physical affection, uh, recreational intimacy. How do you spend time together doing fun things? Intellectual intimacy, sharing your thoughts and opinions about the news, for example, and emotional intimacy, of course, and sexual intimacy. And I feel like I'm forgetting one of them, but sharing how there's so much more than sex that uh and that sometimes lights people's eyes up of there's more than you know because people use the word intimacy as a replacement for sex right and intimacy just means closeness Mm -hmm. a connection and there's other ways to connect yeah yeah and i think that's especially for someone who has the addiction the idea of sex and non-sexual non, non, so intimacy and physical intimacy being potentially separate 
that feels like a complete novel concept. You know, how, how can we have this physical connection without it having innuendos or leading towards something else or pushing towards something else? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I think that's really, really important to build this back is in. Where, this is where those betrayed partners, um, I find sometimes are fearful about the physical affection because they don't want to give the impression that they're okay to go into a sexual realm. Right. And so that's where creating those boundaries and understandings that if I put my hand on your knee, that doesn't mean I want to have sex, nor does it mean I think you want to have sex. So, yep. so on that note, I want to thank you all for listening today and for joining us. If you liked this episode, please like it on YouTube or Spotify or however you got to us. And um, if you want to leave a comment, that's fine. And we're so excited if you would email us with any comments or questions or even topics for episodes that you'd like us to do. And you can email us at conversations.sar at gmail.com. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Thanks. <laughs>